A frequent Issues Etc. guest, Dr. Alvin Schmidt, died on November 28, 2022. In his memory, we present This Issues Etc. Encore. Find more Encore interviews with Dr. Schmidt at issuesetc.org slash Schmidt. History of the world, at least for the last 2,000 years, but I would argue even beyond, can't really be told without also talking about the history of Christianity, of Christ's church. Nowadays, a lot of people simply assume, some boldly assert, that the influence of Christianity, Christians, and Christ's church in the world for the last 2,000 years has been negative, has had a negative effect wherever it has planted its flag or laid its footprint. Is that true? Welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. An hour from now, we'll discuss the crucifixion and death of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel with Dr. Jeff Gibbs. But first, a presentation by Dr. Alvin Schmidt, Professor Emeritus of Sociology at Illinois College and author of numerous books, including How Christianity Changed the World. Here's his presentation from the 2014 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Making the Case for the Positive Impact of Christianity on Civilization. Knowing Todd for some time, a little while ago, an hour ago, I was honored to meet his father and sign one of the books that I have out there, How Christianity Changed the World. Let me first say a few words by way of introduction. I want to thank Todd and Jeff for inviting me two years in a row to appear at this great conference. Last year, as many of you know, I was invited to speak on the topic of making the case against Islam. And today I have the privilege of making the case for Christianity, especially in terms of how it changed the world by introducing numerous wholesome cultural changes, especially in the Western world. In addition to thanking Todd and Jeff, I want to commend them for the tact they have taken in their program issues, etc. They have made it a powerful voice of Christian apologetics. And as most of you likely know, Christian apologetics is the art and the skill of defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. It makes the case for Christianity. It does not mean that we apologize or feel sorry for Christianity's existence, as the word apology is usually understood in our day and age today. Interestingly, in the context of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, Christian apologetics, with only a few exceptions, is a relatively new tech. Because Synod's educational institutions, and I've been part of them for many years, and even its pastors, preaching over the years have not been on the forefront of Christian apologetics. There have even been some voices in synod saying that apologetics is not necessary for proclaiming the gospel. Franz Pieper, really a hero of mine in terms of what he wrote, one time president of synod and professor at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis in the early 1900s, published a three-volume works and dogmatics And in volume one, he says, for example, things that he didn't like about apologetics. Quote, the arguments supplied by the science of apologetics 
cannot change the human heart, cannot produce an inner acceptance of the gospel." End quote. And he further stated, further on in his volume, quote, the best apology of a Christian religion is its proclamation, end quote. His view of Christian apologetics in the LCMS is still alive today. For neither seminary, Fort Wayne or St. Louis, requires a single course in apologetics, only an elective. That is the background. Let me now go to the historic precedent for apologetics in the Christian Church. Even though apologetics has not received much attention in the LCMS circles, church history, however, is full of numerous examples of what I call apologetes rather than apologists. We begin with St. Paul and Peter. To the Christians at Philippi, Paul stated, quote, I am appointed for the defense, and the Greek word is apologia for the gospel. And Peter urged the Christians, quote, always be ready to give a defense. And again, the word defense is apologia in Greek. In other words, to be apologetically oriented. And time does not permit me to cite many, many other apologies that followed Paul and Peter. Some of the early Christian apologies even used the word apology in the title of their works. One of the first was Justin Martyr, who died in 166. And then Tertullian, a few years later, also used it in the title of one of his many works. Tertullian, on the other hand, tried to make the case for Christianity by showing how Christians rejected Rome's pagan values. So he attacked Rome's gladiator contests, its theatrical performances, its abortion practices, its infanticide customs, and cremating the dead. He was the first apologist who attacked Rome's pagan culture. He wanted Christianity to change the world. The next noteworthy defender of Christianity was St. Augustine. His major work, De Civitate Dei, or translated The City of God, appeared in the early 5th century. But following Augustine, church history books I have discovered, written by Christian authors, usually do not mention the many contributions Christianity has made, for instance, regarding the sanctity of human life, charity, compassion, improving the lot of women, education, economics, human rights, science, art, music, architecture, language, and literature. When church history books do mention Christianity's contribution in one or more of these areas, the references are usually very tangential. They fail to show how these changes became institutionalized in Western culture. Now let me cite one noteworthy example. This is the one that shocked me many years ago, and I can never quite get over it to this day. The earliest example of Christians making a significant cultural change in the Western world resulted from their unfailing rejection of Rome's pagan custom of cremation. So consistent with the Christian rejection of cremation, even in the face of persecution, that by the fourth century, the pagan Romans gave it up. Then the next millennium and a half, until the late 1800s, earth burial was the only means imposed 
used to dispose of the dead in the entire Western world. Charlemagne the Great, in 785, even made it a cremation a capital crime. Regions in Northern Europe, such as Britain, Scandinavia, Iceland, who once practiced cremation, stopped it when they became Christianized. It, is not it was not uncommon to have many converted Christians promise upon becoming members that they would never have themselves cremated. But church history books either do not mention Christianity's rejection of cremation or they make a passing reference to it. In short, they fail to make the case for Christianity by not mentioning the monumental change Christians imprinted on Western culture for centuries. Kenneth Scott Lauderette, in a 1,500-page volume of church history that I had to take when I was a student at the seminary, makes one half-sentence reference to what Christianity did relative to cremation and says nothing more. Christianity elevated the value of human life, another major contribution that's positive, no doubt, to all of us. The ancient Romans did not recognize or accept the newly born male infant until he was nine days old, eight days for a female. This meant that the father, under the Roman law called Patria Potestas, had the right to dismiss the child, abandon it, and everything was fine. If he decided to keep the child, he or she received the name and was accepted in society. The custom, along with abortion and infanticide, was totally rejected by Christians because they saw every newborn child as God's creation, worthy of life, not just at birth, but even before birth. So powerful was the Christian conviction regarding the sanctity of human life that in 374, now a Christian emperor, by the name of Valentinian, formally outlawed infanticide, child abandonment, abortion. And it was outlawed for virtually until the 20th century in Western society following that particular act of his. But today, for example, we see that many of these great contributions Christianity has made are being undermined. Next, let me say a few words about Christianity having introduced charity and compassion. We tend to judge the past as a rule in light of the present, which is not as a rule of good practice. We see hospitals, for example. We conclude they have always existed. Uh-huh, oh no. Such a conclusion is totally wrong. For hospitals, even among the brilliant Greeks and Romans, did not exist before the Christians introduced them in the 4th century. We're listening to Dr. Alvin Schmidt from the 2014 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference on this Monday, Thursday, March the 24th, making the case for the positive impact of Christianity on civilization. We'll stay on the subject of hospitals. When we come back, he'll talk about the establishment, the official establishment of hospitals by the Christian church. Very early on, by the way. We'll be right back. Many Lutheran pastors outside of the U.S. 
receive little or no seminary education. Luther Academy provides theological triage through conferences, books, and journals. Help support Luther Academy by making a tax-deductible donation at lutheracademy.com or call 260-452-2211. Serving Lutheran pastors to the ends of the earth, Luther Academy, 260-452-2211 or lutheracademy.com. You've enjoyed our Looking Forward to Sunday Morning interviews with Pastor David Peterson. Did you know that there's a book with more than 60 of his Lent and Easter sermons, including daily readings for all of Lent? It's called Thy Kingdom Come. Find out more and purchase it online at emmanuelpress.us. Make Thy Kingdom Come part of your devotional life during the Lenten and Easter seasons. E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L-Press.us. Thy Kingdom Come by Pastor David Peterson. Where Christianity meets culture, you're listening to Issues Etc. Yes, there is a Messiah in Seattle. Messiah Lutheran Church and Concordia Lutheran School have served North Seattle for over 60 years, and we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 8 and 1045 with Bible study at 920. Messiah Seattle is proud to support Issues Etc., To learn more, watch our adult information class videos online or on DVD. Our website is messiahseattle.org, 206-524-0024. Have you been too busy to get your associate's, bachelor's, or master's degree? Concordia University, Wisconsin offers 50 online educational options. Find out more at issuesetc.org. Click the Concordia University online logo and enter the program code ISSUES to waive your application fee. Concordia University, Wisconsin is here to strengthen and support the church. Lifelong Lutheran Learning. IssuesETC.org and click Concordia University, Wisconsin online. Welcome back to Issues Etc. On this Monday, Thursday, March the 24th, we're listening to some audio from the 2014 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. Dr. Alvin Schmidt is the speaker. He's Professor Emeritus of Sociology at Illinois College and author of numerous books, including How Christianity Changed the World. He's making the case for the positive impact of Christianity on civilization, talking about hospitals and here the establishment of hospitals by the Christian church. At the Council of Nicaea in 325, that gave you basically the Nicene Creed, stated that a hospice, not as we think of it today, was to be established in every city and it had a cathedral or a bishop. And a hospice was to house the sick and the traveling people. Then in 369, the first hospital, Anosa Comia, was built in Caesarea, in Caesarea Cappadocia by St. Basil. Soon Christians built hospitals in the West. Moreover, they also brought into being related charity structures that served orphans, the blind, the mentally disturbed, the aged, and others in need of Christian compassion. By the 14th century, England alone, with less than 4 million people, had 600 hospitals. France and Germany had even more. This brief summary illustrates that the development of hospitals was a Christian innovation never done before, a phenomenon that was unknown to the pagans. But all too many Christians today do not know this important fact of history. In ignorance, they even fail to make a connection 
to this Christian innovation when they drive by a hospital that is named St. John's Hospital, St. Luke's Hospital, St. Mary's Lutheran, Methodist Hospital, Presbyterian, and so on. These names, when we see these on the hospital, are begging us to remember that hospitals were Christian innovation, but we don't know it. The historians have never really told us. And therein lies one of my criticisms when I read church history. And when the Christians made, made all these institutions of charity and compassion, they were following Christ's words when he said, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Why does the world at large, including most Christians, not know that before Christians founded hospitals in the fourth century, the world had no such places of charity and mercy? The answer is that Christians, especially Christian, his Christian historians, have not made a positive case for Christianity in this regard. It is time, however, that you and I do. Additional unrecognized Christian contributions. I will just mention a few that I have in my book, and I will mention a few things that are not in the book. Given the constraints of time, I, have, I will only briefly illustrate some of these contributions. These contributions have been recognized by the secular, not been recognized by the secular world, and unfortunately also often not by Christians. As I proceed, I will explain why that's the case. Christianity gave freedom and dignity to women. One of the most unrecognized facts in history is what Christianity has done for women. It gave them freedom and dignity by echoing the honor and the dignity Jesus accorded them, something the world in his day had never seen before. Jesus as a Jewish man did what, a good, did what no good Jewish male would have done when he spoke to the Samaritan woman, John 4. This was so unusual that even the disciples came and were passed. What are you doing talking to a woman? According to rabbinic law, and I could cite in the book, cites a number of passages, a good Jewish man, according to rabbinic law, one of the phrases says, quote, he who talks with a woman in public brings evil upon himself. End quote. That's what Jesus did. That's why the disciples were nonplussed. But yet often when we read that gospel lecture, we really don't get the message. What really happened in that context? The early Christians remembered what Jesus had done, yet Christianity is often faulted for discriminating against women. Secular literature, especially by secular feminists, is filled with false propaganda, and Christians have all <clears throat> too often ignorantly accepted it. They have failed to show where Christianity has had the greatest presence, women have had the greatest amount of freedom and dignity. And where Christianity has had the least presence, they have the least freedom and dignity. And if you don't believe me, look at a Muslim country. You have the facts right there. Christianity gave dignity in marriage, just a few words. Under the pagan Romans, wedding ceremonies had become a public mockery of the Roman poet Catullus in the first century B.C. revealed in one of his poems. Emperor Constantine the Great now, in the 330s, changed this by making marriage ceremonies conform to Christian values. 
And so Edward Westermark, a historian of history of marriage, book published almost 100 years ago, and not a Christian to my knowledge, credits Christianity with having defined marriage as a divine institution. Thus, every time we see the dignity and solemnity in a wedding ceremony, exempting same-sex marriages, however, the credit belongs to Christianity. Christianity opposed depraved sexual behavior, and Rome was full of it. A recent book by John Clark, Looking at Lovemaking, subtitled The Constructions of Sexuality in Roman Art from 100 BC to 250 AD, is an illuminating book that you ought to look at and read to get the picture of how depraved sexual life was in the Roman society in early Christianity's days. They depict oral sex as well as couples copulating on cups, ceramic vases, mosaics. These were all seen daily life by the children who grew up in the kitchen and saw these pictures of depraved sex. One historian has noted, quote, there was nothing which the Romans did not indulge in or which they thought a disgrace, end of quote. Christianity changed that. Sexual immorality was so pronounced that a chaste wife among the Romans was a joke and a rarity. Tacitus, the second century historian in his book Annals, makes comment of this. Into this sexual morass came the Christians with a radically different sexual lifestyle. A second century document describes how the Christians differed from the Romans by confining their sexual behavior to married life and not making a public display of it, as the Romans did. Quote, one author said, they, the Christians, marry as do all. They beget children. They have a common table, but they don't have a common bed. Very illuminating words. This new family lifestyle largely reflected the character of Christian women at the time. The Greek pagan writer, Labanius, in the fourth century said, quote, what women these Christians have, end of quote. These women made the case for Christianity by the way they lived their daily lives, and they helped change the world, sexually speaking. Christianity laid the foundation for abolishing slavery. Much of Christianity's history has been written by non-Christians who have often given false portrayals about events in history. One example is what they have said about Christianity in its alleged support of slavery. If one reads only these secular history books, you will come away seeing Christianity as a pro-slavery religion. To be sure, there were some erring Christians who supported slavery and even had slaves themselves. But what about the hundreds and the thousands of slaves whom Christians freed? And I document that at length in the book. Wealthy Saint Melania in the fourth century emancipated 8,000 slaves. Saint Ovid in Gaul, mouth called France, freed 5,000. Cormatius, a Roman prefect under Diocletian, the wicked emperor, released 1,400. Hermes, a prefect under Trajan, the emperor, freed 1,200. 
Emperor Constantine in 315 imposed a death penalty on any who stole children so they could bring them up as slaves. Emperor Justinian in the 6th century abolished laws that prevented freeing slaves. Christians were now free to, devent, to release slaves and not be punished for it. All of these actions reflected St. Paul's theology when he told Philemon that one-page book in the New Testament to no longer treat Onesimus as a slave but as a brother, usually overlooked by every historian, Christian or non-Christian, when they talk about Christianity's involvement with slavery. <clears throat> and we have St. John Chrysostom, who died in 407, preaching when he said, Christ came, when Christ came, he annulled slavery, and then Chrysostom urged those who had slaves to teach them a skill and then to free them. In addition to these anti-slavery acts, we must not forget the numerous other bold Christians who fought to free slaves. Think of England's William Wilberforce in the 1820s and the 1830s, who effort finally outlawed slavery throughout the British Empire. They all made a positive case for Christianity, and they rejected slavery with Christian motives that have so often been ignored by secular historians. Christianity's contribution to science, modern science. Secular historians delight also in sliding Christianity when they discuss science. In textbooks, they present Christianity as the enemy of science. They totally ignore the words once spoken by Alfred North Whitehead, not a Christian, but a renowned philosopher of science, said this, quote, Faith in the possibility of science is an unconscious derivation of medieval theology, end quote. Thus it happened that from the 13th through the 18th century, Virtually every major scientist was a Christian. Such men as Robert Grotesti, also who founded Oxford University and its first chancellor, Roger Bacon, his student, William of Ockham, Leonardo da Vinci, Nicholas Copernicus, Blaise Pascal, Francis Bacon, Robert Boyle, Johannes Kepler, Louis Pasteur, just to name a few, were all devout Christians. They try to explain and interpret their findings in the light of biblical knowledge. To them, it was inconceivable for them to omit God from their activities by doing science as it is done today called methodological atheism. Like Kepler, who once said, when I, he did his scientific word, I try to think God's thoughts after him. So did a lot of the others without their having said so. On this Monday, Thursday, March the 24th, we are listening to Dr. Alvin Schmidt, Professor Emeritus of Sociology at Illinois College from the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in 2014, making the case for the positive impact of Christianity on civilization. When we come back, why don't you read this stuff in the history books? Why isn't Christianity credited with all of these contributions, these positive impacts on civilization? Stay tuned.
I think every man, every Christian should consider, at least, the possibility of God calling him into the holy ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Carl Fakencher of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Because that's the way that God has designed for faith in Christ Jesus to be spread, for the gift of eternal life that Christ Jesus earned by his death and resurrection to be shared with people by the washing of baptism for infants and for adults, for the instruction, the proclamation of the word that happens uh, on a nonstop basis in God's kingdom. God uses people, he uses men to be those proclaimers, to be those men who who share the, the sacraments. If you've ever considered becoming a pastor, contact Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Their phone number, 1-800-481-2155, 1-800-481-2155, or visit ctsfw.edu. LCMS Disaster Response provides guidance and assistance to congregations who seek to proclaim the gospel and show mercy in the wake of disasters. We can bring capacity to your congregation through on-site assessment, volunteer training and congregation preparedness, and through grants direct to your congregation. For more information, follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, engages young adults in a Christ-centered environment, delivering academic excellence and spiritual growth to develop Christian leaders for tomorrow. We provide a Christ-focused alternative to public high schools. Many of our students receive tuition assistance. To help us provide tuition assistance to more students, go to melhs.org and click on the giving page. Or call me, Dr. J. Krause, Principal, at 618-656-0043. Talk radio for the Christian worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by joining the Issues Etc. 300. Holy Trinity Lutheran, Garfield, New Jersey. Grace Lutheran, Naples, Florida. St. John's Lutheran, Chicago, Illinois. St. Paul Lutheran, Unionville, Michigan. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Beverly Hills, California. Epiphany Lutheran, Door, Michigan. The Good Shepherd Lutheran, Inglewood, California. St. John's Lutheran, Sayville, New York. Apostles Lutheran, Melrose Park, Illinois. Christ Our Savior Lutheran, Elizabeth, Colorado. Grace Lutheran, Strasburg, Illinois, and Bethel Lutheran, Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. Find out how your church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to our website, issuesetc.org, click support, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation joins the Issues Etc. 300, we'll publicize your congregation on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal, the Issues Etc. 300. Welcome back on this Monday, Thursday afternoon. Dr. Alvin Schmidt is holding forth from the 2014 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, making the case, as only he can, for the positive impact of Christianity on civilization. Let's go back to the audio here where he answers a question that's kind of been rolling around in my mind, maybe yours as well. Why, if all this positive impact has been found in civilization from Christianity, don't you read about it in the history books? In addition to the examples, there are other, of course, many other instances I could cite how Christians made the case for Christianity. But let me say that most of the examples are not easily found in history books, nor are they listed by historians as contributions of Christianity. This is one of the surprising and amazing facts. 
Even history books written by Christian authors are not of much help either. A Christian researcher has to fish out these facts, so to speak. And the following is a prominent example. The origin of no man is above the law. Now, you've all heard that phrase. It was very popular in our day and age in the Clinton impeachment proceedings. No man is above the law. We're beginning to hear it now again, too, in different ways with the present president. Yet it does have a Christian origin. That is totally ignored in every history book. I've never found it ever even mentioned in tangentially. Let me share, you with, share my discovery with you. In the year 390 AD, a riot broke out in Thessalonica. The Christian emperor Theodosius I had overreacted by having his troops wantonly kill 7,000 civilians. And don't forget, Theodosius I was now a Christian emperor, often called Theodosius the Great. The emperor at this time had his palace in Milan, Italy. And Ambrose was his bishop. Remember, you just sung Ambrose's song. Okay, same Ambrose. Upon hearing what Theodosius had done, Ambrose, as a spiritual advisor, rebuked him, telling him he was not above the law, and that he had better repent or he will excommunicate him. Theodosius initially did not like it and did not repent. But before long, on Christmas Day, he came in sackcloth and ashes in front of the congregations, bowed down and repented for what he had done. Now you see, no man who's above the law made its roots, and it had a Christian origin. 800 years later, roughly, another hallmark of liberty and justice surfaced when the British barons compelled King John to sign the Magna Carta, in Latin means the big chart, in Runnymede, England in 1215. Its preamble mostly was written by Archbishop of Canterbury, Stephen Langton, by the way, who also gave us the first division of chapters in the Bible. In that document, it said, quote, out of reverence for God and for the salvation of souls and those of our ancestors and heirs, for the honor of God and exaltation of the Holy Church, the reform of our realm and the advice of these reverend fathers. That's part of the preamble. Clearly, the Magna Carta's formulators put forth a positive case for Christianity that called for liberty and justice, consistent with St. Paul's words when he said, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is of the Lord, there is liberty. Christianity's role in the realm of economics. Still another Christian contribution to freedom and liberty lies in the area of economic activity. Yet many Christians seem to be totally ignorant of it or influenced by socialistic governmental thinking. They find this hard to believe. Liberal professors in colleges have been very successful in portraying capitalism as an evil and hence unchristian. They have even succeeded in getting many <clears throat> to believe that, there's no, that there is such a thing as Christian socialism. I was asked to write an article for a four-volume encyclopedia a couple of years ago in London, England, on this very topic. And I had a lot of interesting comments with the people who didn't like what I was saying, but they published it anyhow. Christian socialism, as F.A. Hayek, an Austrian economist, said some years ago, is an oxymoron. So-called Christian socialism cannot function 
without governmental coercion. And once coercion is present, the activity is no longer Christian. Moreover, as Milton Friedman, non-Christian Jewish economist, has shown in countries where the free market exists, the gap between rich and poor is least pronounced and most pronounced where the free market is restricted or controlled by government. And recently, Rabbi Daniel Lapin, who clearly is not a Christian, said, quote, it is no accident that a capital market has never arisen indigenously in any non-Christian country, end of quote. Christianity's contribution, a byproduct of their faith. One of the most surprising discoveries I have found in church history that Christians usually did not realize or recognize the effects their actions had when they heeded Christ's words, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Their actions were byproducts of God's redeeming love that theirs was, that, that was theirs in the crucified and risen life of Jesus Christ. In time, many Christian values and practices became integrated parts of Western culture. And the Christians didn't really quite realize it, as we don't to this day. But soon Christians were ignorant of that fact. They no longer knew that their spiritual ancestors, Christian values, resulted in Western societies outlawing abortion, abandonment of children, infanticide, suicide, homosexual practice, and pedophilia. Thus, by the 20th century, Westerners, nominal Christians, began to repeal many of these spiritual ancestors' contributions. Only pedophilia, pederastia, the Greeks call it, still remains illegal. How much longer? I don't know. The West Christian heritage is undergoing massive dismantling, and it seems most Christians today do not know or even care. They no longer seem to have any interest in making the case for Christianity. Why do today's Christians not know or care? How did this widespread apathy take place? In part, the malaise and the apathy present among today's Christians has a long history. It began when the church historians and the theologians who failed to make it clear that many of the changes Christians had introduced in the West not only replaced pagan values, but gave people a life and dignity, freedom, and honor beyond what paganism ever did. Historians would note that Christians would introduce hospitals and books, but they failed to note that these innovations changed the culture. Eventually, Christians no longer knew that their spiritual ancestors had conquered the pagan past. They now lived off the past laurels of their Christian ancestors without knowing or appreciating what had been bequeathed to them, often at great sacrificial costs. I have already noted how the church historians have failed to note how Christianity's first major cultural change, namely the rejection of cremation that had, been, had replaced earth burial, had become the West's only way of disposing the dead for almost 2,000 years. Yet the historians never mention it, other than a passing reference here and there. Many don't even have that. This major cultural change has been overlooked. Thus, it is not surprising that more and more Christians now are opting for cremation. In some Western societies, such as England, Canada, Australia, and the Western United States, have now the majority of the people disposing of their bodies by burning them. 
We're listening to Dr. Alvin Schmidt from the 2014 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, making the case for the positive impact of Christianity on civilization. Dr. Alvin Schmidt is Professor Emeritus of Sociology at Illinois College and author of numerous books, including How Christianity Changed the World. Folks, you'll find more great teachings just like this at the 2016 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. We'll have some of your favorite guests teaching on biblical womanhood, the conservative reformation, law and gospel, the means of grace, the Lord's Prayer, and the end times. It's Friday, June the 10th, and Saturday, June the 11th in Collinsville, Illinois. That's about 15 miles east of St. Louis. Find out more and register at issuesetc.org or give us a call, 618-223-8385. The 2016 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, June 10th and 11th in Collinsville, Illinois. When we come back, the remainder of Dr. Alvin Schmidt's presentation at the 2014 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, wrapping up on the positive impact of Christianity on civilization. How do we keep teenagers connected to the church after confirmation? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March is Teaching the Faith at Home. What does this mean? How is this done? It's published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. Or you can browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. Teaching the Faith at Home costs $15.99 plus shipping and handling. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, Teaching the Faith at Home. Coming this Easter Sunday, sacred music for the Easter season. LutheranPublicRadio.org Lutheran Public Radio, sacred music for the world. Coming Easter Sunday at LutheranPublicRadio.org Daily exercise for the Christian mind. You're listening to Issues Etc., I remember being an evangelical and always listening to these prophecy buffs, and I always think to myself, I, I've really got to study prophecy, but who could do it? I mean, it was just a tangled mess. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller talking about his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. You had the newspaper in one hand, and you had the Bible in the other, and you're trying to, you know, it's like a gigantic theological, geopolitical crossword puzzle. Who, who knows what's up and down? The Bible is, is much simpler Uh, and much more joyful when it comes to the promise of the second coming. You can meet and hear Pastor Brian Wolfmiller making the biblical case for the end times Friday, June 10th and Saturday, June 11th at the 2016 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, June 10th and 11th in Collinsville, Illinois. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Monday, Thursday afternoon... Dr. Alvin Schmidt is making the case for the positive impact of Christianity on civilization, playing some audio from our 2014 Issues Etc. Making the Case conference. Let's go back and hear what Dr. Schmidt has to say. Christians have never been told 
the biblical theological reason that prompted the early Christians to reject cremating the dead among the pagan Romans. It has been said that if people have not been taught to know and appreciate their past, they will have no desire to preserve that past for themselves or for their descendants. This seems to be true among many Christians today. The word cemetery, another contribution made to society, which is probably going to be a big surprise to you. In speaking about historians and theologians not having kept Christians informed about how their ancestors changed the world, there is a very significant example that has been completely overlooked. It is the name Christians gave to a graveyard. Let me explain. In the latter part of the second century, when the Christians were highly persecuted in Rome, the early Christians were theologically uncomfortable with what the Greco-Roman pagans called a graveyard. The Greeks called it a necropolis. The Romans called it an area. But Christians chose the Greek word koimaterion, which meant a temporary sleeping place. And they transliterated into the Latin crematorium. This is high, this highly significant piece of history, however, never has made it into any Christian history book. And equally unfortunate, Christians have not been told that the English word cemetery is a derivation of the Latin word crematorium. Thus, every time a Christian goes by and drives by a cemetery. Pardon me. He is not, or she is not just speaking of a graveyard, but the very word cemetery. They're only sleeping there temporarily. They're going to rise from the dead. The word cemetery is a theological concept, and we have not been told that. It's not just another word for graveyard. Never has been. So next time you drive by a cemetery, maybe even today, think of that theological concept which talks about Christians dying and someday will be bodily resurrected on the last day. The distinctive mark of difference of Christianity over against other religions. A few comments I'd like to make on one more in terms of positive contribution. Be careful how you use the word faith today. I hear it all the time. I've written already a couple of chapters on this in different books. And let me explain what I mean. The word faith is so misused in our day and age, even in the pulpits and in the church periodicals. What do I mean? The Muslim faith, the Mormon faith. There you go. That's a non-Christian way of speaking. There is no such thing as a Muslim faith. It's a Muslim religion and a Mormon religion. And that's what you ought to say if you want to make the case for Christianity. This, I don't have time to go and I trace the origin of this. Or when we today pluralize the concept of faith. There are many faiths. No, by the way, the word faith was a Christian innovation in the New Testament. The word pistis in Greek was a word that they didn't have among the Greeks and the Romans any theological significance, as we would call it. Let me quote you a famous German scholar. Faith, pistis, 
is a peculiar Christian concept, while other religious traditions have aspects of what churches have come to name faith, none has the specific quality of intellectual assent that distinguishes faith from fidelity." End quote. Another scholar says, it is the New Testament that launched the concept of faith in a big way as virtually a distinctive Christian category. It is not a synonym for religion, please, but that's how we're using it today. And given the fact that you and I are deeply involved and influenced by culture, even what I say now, please don't say a Muslim faith or the Mormon faith after today. You will again because the culture will move you to say it, but stop and speak the Christian language. There is only one faith. Remember what Paul said to the Ephesians? One Lord, one faith. He didn't say many. And yet when we talk about this multiple faith in our day and age, that is a pagan influence that has basically erased the distinctive meaning of the word pistis in the Greek. Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith. Luke in Acts talked that many of the priests were obedient to the faith, talking about Christianity. There is only one. One more kind of comment I'd like to make about the misuse of faith. I remember when I was a young professor, a century ago, at Seward, Nebraska, the Teachers College. I was, in addition to my teaching sociology, also asked to teach a course usually in introductory Christianity. And every the kids of 25 that I had, most of them had gone to Lutheran grade schools and high schools. And one day it dawned on me, these kids have no idea what faith is about. So I put a simple sentence on the blackboard. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is true because my faith tells me so. And then I said, now answer that in terms of true or false. All but one got it wrong. They said true. I said, what? Your faith makes the resurrection of Christ true? The resurrection of Christ is true regardless whether you have faith or not. It's a fact of history. Your faith doesn't make that thing true. It is the resurrection that will make your faith true, but not that your faith will make the resurrection true. Well, I even had one or two kids break down and cry. I was destroying their faith. I said, I'm afraid you never had it quite right. This is how we misuse the word faith today. I see it in periodical religious literature as well as I hear it in pulpit. You're going to have to discipline yourself and use the word faith as it does in the New Testament. As this scholar said, it was an entirely new Christian concept, an innovation of Christianity, not now taken over and preempted, so to speak, by other religions. And my dear friend, let me make a few more concluding remarks. Having studied and researched Christianity and how it changed the world, I'm often saddened not only to see the lack of interest so many Christians today have regarding their spiritual, what the spiritual ancestors once did to make the world a better place. Many no longer seem to have a Christian consciousness that indicates they are the salt of the earth. It is almost impossible to tell the difference between Christians and non-Christians. For instance, there is little or no difference in divorce rates between Christians and non-Christians. In fact, Christians have a higher divorce rate than atheists. In the year 2001, the Barna Research Group, located out in California, 
found that only 34% of American adults believe there is an absolute moral truth. And only 40% of born-again Christians, adults, believe that the devil was real. Only 62% of born-again Christians in the United States say that Christ was sinless. 62% of born Christians. Now, I went to graduate school, my PhD advisor is an atheist, but even he believed Christ was sinless. Now, 62% of the born-again Christians no longer do. They also found that while Christians today acknowledge and confess their sins, they do not turn their life over to God. Thus, many tattoo their bodies just like the secularists do. Some come to church in beach clothing, and we accept it. Hence, one is reminded of Christ's words. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? Given this sad state of affairs, let us ask God to help us make the case for Christianity. Motivated by God's forgiving grace, let us do it in the manner of the early Christians. If we do not, no one else will. I pray that God would help us do it. Thank you. Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part today by Luther Academy. This is a worldwide mission outreach dedicated to preaching and teaching Lutheran doctrine and practice. You can find out about their great work at lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Be sure to sign up for their free email newsletter, Serving Lutheran Pastors to the Ends of the Earth, lutheracademy.com. In the next hour, we're going to talk with Dr. Jeff Gibbs about the crucifixion and death of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Hi, this is Pastor Clayton from Zion Lutheran Church of Muscoota, Illinois, a proud supporter of Issues Etc. Zion is a congregation firmly grounded in God's grace given in the Word and Sacraments where we treasure the timeless beauty of the liturgy. Zion is also a vibrant, young, family-friendly congregation where you would be warmly welcomed. Zion is located at 101 South Railway Street in Muscoota, Illinois, and we would love to share God's gifts of grace with you. For more information, please visit our website at zionmuscoota.com. Even if your child has mild to moderate autism, learning disabilities, attention difficulties, or other learning challenges, he can receive a classical Christian education. The Simply Classical curriculum was created by Issues Etc. guest Cheryl Swope, an author, educator with a master's degree in special education, and homeschooling mother of twins with special needs. The Simply Classical curriculum has become an answer to prayer for parents and schools. Visit classicalspecialneeds.com and save $5 with the coupon code LPR. South Africa. China. Germany. 
Trinidad and Tobago. Did you know that people listen to issues, etc., around the world? India. Sweden. Egypt. France. Turkey. Japan. Australia. Canada. United Kingdom. Hong Kong. Austria. Finland. Malaysia. Singapore. Bulgaria. Korea. Brazil. You can support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by making a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by check. Make your check payable to Lutheran Public Radio and send it to LPR Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois 62234. LPR Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois 62234. Help us proclaim Christ to the world. The Philippines. Mexico. Spain. New Zealand. Kuwait. Do you long for a church that has ancient roots and yet contemporary significance that is at once Catholic, Orthodox, Evangelical, and Protestant? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We're what you've been looking for. Find a church near you that preaches and teaches the faith once for all delivered to the saints at issuesetc.org.